It's episode 98 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Ryan Top, and I'm joined today by J.P. Breen. Uh, how's it going on your end of the world over there, J.P.? Uh, well, I am, I'm going to try to act like I know what's been going on this past week. I'm not 100% sure what day it is, um, and I haven't gotten a whole lot of sleep over the last week and have done a whole lot of driving. So we will see how it goes. Ryan's going to have to prop me up in this one, but we're going to make sure that Steve has an opportunity to take the weekend off since he's been pulling some heavy duty lately. Yeah, and uh, we just we couldn't work out a time for all three of us to record this week with people in three different time zones. It got to be a little weird and just couldn't make it happen. So it's me and JP this weekend. I think I'm pretty sure next week we're all going to be together for the first time in like, I don't know, a month. So Should be. We're going to be able to then turn all of our attention to uh i would say the all-star break but i'd be lying we're going to turn all of our attention most likely to the the trade deadline if i know anything about baseball twitter yeah it's definitely coming it's we are to that season now so we didn't get too many questions this week i think people were feeling a little hungover from all of the uh, unpleasant <coughs> all the unpleasantness so we will see um but yeah uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Uh, send email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that on our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com at MKE Tailgate. Our M&B um, Ball and Glove level patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced top grenades. You know them for the, their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Out now as part of our summer series is a Raspberry Fantasy Factory IPA, Idiot Farm Imperial IPA, and celebrate the 4th of July, which we just had. With cans of America AF, Watermelon, Kolsch. All are great for the hot summer day. Also get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store uh, with their promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. And I will say for all of the listeners who maybe recognize that that wasn't Ryan's most lovely voice at all times and was really pushing to get that out there, that he... It might might sound a little bit rough at times because uh, he was out gallivanting on the East Coast going to a fish concert out in the rain for four hours. And so is is suddenly coming down with uh, what the cold pneumonia swine flu. What do you what do you got going? Yeah, I uh, we were out in the thunderstorm on Saturday night and they still got the show in. Though they cut it from two sets to one. It was a good show. We enjoyed it. But it turns out that standing around for three and a half hours in soaking wet clothes in 70-ish degree temperatures is a good way to get a bug, which I've been fighting off all day and working to to not deal with that. So hopefully that'll be successful. I think I'm I'm pushing through, but yeah. we'll see. Just wanted to make sure so. we had that out there in case everyone sounds like, you know, everyone is at some point saying, Ryan, that what is the matter with you? He just, just fighting off a little bit of bug. He's being a professional, pushing on through. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'll make it. So just so. like, everybody else had to deal with so you you kind of like took fought fought the good fight stood out in the rain for four hours did the brewers fight the good fight this week uh the brewers did not well i mean i i suppose they tried i'm guessing they put in an effort uh i caught bits and pieces of games mostly on my phone gallivanting around the city of boston uh, at various places and then was able to catch full games. I caught most of Sunday's games. So, but it was, it was not a good week. Uh, the Brewers began by winning their first in Cincinnati and things seemed to be going pretty well. And then things started to slip away on Tuesday night when they failed to score over their final five innings. And that began a 26 inning scoreless streak that took them through parts of the next three games. And, they ended up uh, going one and four in Cincinnati, and or sorry, one and three over those four games. 
and have fallen back to now for the season against Cincinnati seven and six. So they still have a winning record, but not pretty. Cincinnati's been improved this year by quite a bit. Their pitching especially has been better. But what does this what does this say to you when a team like the Brewers goes on an extended scoreless streak like that, JP? Uh, to be honest, it doesn't really say much to me, right? And and this is going to be the tough part about discussing this past week is that it's not really productive or useful to draw any conclusions from it, but uh, trying to put it in the context of the season, our expectations for the season, and how we can kind of look forward to the team going forward. And I was looking at... Um, I was looking at some things prior to recording here just because I know a lot of people are saying right now, you know, the performance against the Pirates, performance against the Reds, all of those things haven't been that good. They've actually performed better against the NL Central than they have anyone else across baseball. If you look at their records against the NL Central, if you look at their their records against anyone else, um, it's their records against the NL Central that's actually better. And right now, that's actually one of the reasons why they've had an opportunity to still be within uh, shouting distance of, of first place, you know, and even in first place for a large part of it. So I don't think there's too much to worry about in terms of, you know, going 7-6 against the Reds. I don't think there's that much to be worried about kind of a, a late a late first half slide going in. I mean, we we did this last year. And that, that's what's going to Yeah, this does seem really reminiscent of last year, doesn't it? So that's what's going to be really tough is just like, yeah, watching bad baseball sucks. Watching the team lose, watching the team go through an extended hitting, hitting slump, watching them struggle to give up, you know, runs in the bullpen. All of those things are going to be terrible to watch. But like we we know that that doesn't necessarily mean things are going to go the same way in the second half. We know that guys can go on extended good runs. We know that Christian Yelich can do it over the course of a couple of uh, a couple of months. Kesson Hero is going to be up in the second half. We're going to have an opportunity to strengthen at the, the trade deadline. And we know that performance fluctuates. And so it, the the challenge at this point is not to say that things automatically will get better in the second half, but just keeping in mind that just because you've seen this over an extended stretch over the last month, that doesn't necessarily mean things are going to be bad going forward. So I think most likely, I mean, for myself, it's probably going to be a pretty common refrain for this podcast and maybe going into next week's podcast is just don't overreact. Not everything not everything that, that has been bad will continue to be bad. Uh, and not everything that is that has gone well will continue to go well. And it's just trying to be able to find that balance, try to be able to figure out, you know, how do these things kind of play into what we expected and what we thought could happen prior to the year and also keeping in mind we knew that the nl central was going to be an absolute bloodbath yeah and it really has the thing that stands out sorry the thing that stands out to me really if you look at the nl central records and i was just taking a peek at that the brewers are five and five against the cardinals they're three and three against the cubs like we said they're seven and six against the reds what's really propped them up this year has been the nine and four record against the pittsburgh pirates which Probably would surprise people, but I mean, they've really dominated the Pirates this year after having a few years of mediocre to bad performances against them. So, so far anyway, they've been good against the Pirates. And it's good to have somebody that you're you're at least beating up on inside the division. And if you look to this week's, uh, the beginning of that Pirate series, the Friday night game was especially wild. And the Brewers had come into this game on a three-game losing streak against the Reds, and they, once again, it it started slowly, but they get a a home run to sort of break out of things in the, was it the fourth inning, I believe? And it's a close, tight game until the eighth inning. I believe the Brewers were up two to one at that point when they got a couple of home runs, one of them from Jesus Aguilar, whose big week we'll talk about shortly. So they're now up six to one. And the uh, the decision at that point was made to pull Josh Hader, who had pitched. He came in with one out in the, uh, or sorry, with two outs in the seventh inning. And so he had pitched uh, an inning and a third. And with the Brewers up by five runs, it felt like a pretty easy decision. Yeah, you're going to get Hader out of there and maybe have him available for Sunday. If 
you you make that decision with a five run lead anybody should be able to cover a five run lead in in one inning jp and then the unpleasantness happened they brought in delois guerra who i believe had just come up and he, he hadn't been there for more than a day or two anyway at that point and he proceeded to give up four runs and then they turn to junior guerra who comes in and i believe gets ambushed on his first pitch and gives up the solo shot to tie the game and all of a sudden, what was a very comfortable five-run lead uh, evaporated in just a matter of minutes in the midst of this painful losing streak. And that was the point where I thought Brewer's Twitter was going to lose its mind. That was the moment where I thought it was just, it was over. Unfortunately, the Brewers ended up rallying and in the 10th inning and winning the game with Junior Guerra pitching a scoreless, though somewhat... Uh, I guess dramatic ninth. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk about, because I know you're going to have opinions about this. Is that the right call to have a, the decision to use Delays Garrett in that situation and not continuing using Josh Hader with a five run lead? I personally think it was the right call. And given where their bullpen situation was, otherwise they didn't want to use junior Garrett because they were in something of a rundown bullpen situation at that moment and wanted to to save things for later. Is it too much to expect a guy making his his debut with the team like that to come in and try to hold a five run lead for an inning? No. And I, I this is this sounds harsh, but I, I frankly don't have much time for any argument that says that pulling Josh Hader with a five run lead is, is the wrong call. I mean, He's already gone more than it more than an inning at that point. If he ends up going the rest of the time, everyone's just going to complain that he can't go the next day anyway. It's they they cannot. Craig Council cannot manage uh, Josh Hader in a way that will make everybody happy. And and it's foolish to pretend that there is any scenario in which people are going to be happy. The only scenario in which people ever ever view that the bullpen is managed well is when the bullpen pitches well when the bullpen pitches well everybody loves bullpen management they think it's going great um and when they struggle think things look terrible i mean we've seen aaron Perez be able to get through three outs in an inning like there's no reason that that an actual like competent professional pitcher can't get through an inning with a five-run lead and the fact that he didn't isn't because he's somehow terrible. It just means that, yeah, I mean, he's got a high variance bar because he's not, you know, an elite reliever. And so bad innings will happen. And it just happened to happen at that time. And then it causes everybody to panic. But there's no it's not like he could not go out the next day. And then you know, he's not going to give up five runs every ninth inning every time he goes out. I mean, that that's not going to happen. Well, it's not going to happen for the Brewers because he was quickly released. So which is fine. Like it it's, doesn't even matter. Like, he's not somebody that they were going to rely on through the rest of the year anyway. No, it just, it's great that they ended up winning that game because I think that would have been one a lot of people would have looked back on as how did you let that slip away? And at least we won't have to hear about that game for the rest of the year the way we spent a lot of last summer hearing about that last game before the All-Star break in Pittsburgh last year, the one where they had the uh, the rain come and all that. See, so like... Even having you describe that, I do not remember that game. Oh, that game was brutal. That last game before the All-Star break in Pittsburgh last year do people was ever, absolutely brutal. Do people ever remember good games, or do they just remember games that really piss them off? I, I think it's the games that piss people off, because people instantly went to the game against the Diamondbacks from 2007, the one where they blew a five-run lead in the ninth without even recording an out. See, and the thing is... And the reason I ask that is because, like, that's the one that always comes into my mind because I sat up and watched that game and I watched Guillermo Moda absolutely just implode on himself. And I was like, good, I'm glad I wasted three hours of my day watching that. That was fantastic. Yeah, um, it was it was unpleasant. I was on the phone when it was happening, and uh, I remember my friend Jay just spending most of the time screaming. So, but like, and, and so, like, those are the things that always it's it's every single time a good thing happens. We ex- we expect it, right? Like relievers are supposed to come in and throw scoreless innings. We never think about those sorts of things. 
unless something spectacular happens. But we do remember when they do mess up, and it, and it's really difficult to 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 remember um, that Junior Garrett is somebody that we've seen be so good that he was an opening day starter, to be so bad that he pitched himself out of the big leagues. He's a guy that goes through stretches where he looks phenomenal, and there are stretches where he looks like he's borderline unplayable. And so having Junior Guerra give up you know, that, that run to, to tie the game, but then also, I believe, on Sunday, ended up taking the loss, correct? Uh, yeah, that sounds right. And so like Junior Guerra now has an ERA up of over four, and some people are like, well, is, you know, is Junior Guerra, can, this is a complete waste, like... And it was, what, two months ago that we were talking about the fact that, you know, could he be a right-handed Josh Hader? Um, which, obviously, in retrospect, looks like a really foolish conversation. But Junior Guerra, uh, Matt Albers, all of these guys that we're talking about are the high-variance relievers that make Steve want to pull his hair out. They're, they're, the reason he, they're the reason that Steve Steve hates relievers. And it's why so many teams now insist on paying huge prices at the at, at the the summer deadline to go and get bullpen pieces that are elite because if you have a Josh Hader and I know people are going to say yeah he gives up home runs once in a while fantastic he's not going to have a zero ERA great but you need to have guys at the back end of your bullpen if you want to be competitive in the in, in this day and age that you can throw out every single time and say you know eight out of ten nine out of ten times he's going to give you a scoreless inning Right now, the Brewers have exactly one of those guys. And we've said that over the course of the year, ever since Knable went down, they now have one of those guys. And hopefully we wanted Jeremy Jeffries to come back and be the guy that he was prior. But we know it. You know, we, we saw early this year that, you know, his arm's not fully healthy. And yeah, he's pitching a lot, but it's pretty clear that Jeffries is still not, you know, completely healthy. And we don't necessarily know what the issue is. Other than, you know, well, like let me ask you a question shoulder, here. Shoulder. Do you think or whatever. do you think moving Adrian Hauser back to the bullpen would potentially make him one of those guys? Because it looks like Junior Guerra is going to be heading out on a rehab assignment pretty quick here. I'm sorry, uh, Gio Gonzalez, not Junior Guerra. Gio Gonzalez is going to be heading out on a rehab assignment. And that would make it possible, at least if they wanted to, to try to move Adrian Hauser back. And he has been. He's been okay as a starter. He he has not been an utter failure, but he was he was a really good reliever when he got pulled to the uh, to the rotation. He was and, he was a good reliever for a stretch. He hasn't been consistently a good reliever over a long period of time. And so, fair I, point. I don't think. I mean, to maybe maybe for a couple of months he could go through a, a good stretch and be that. But like, I don't. I cannot see a way in which I would I could look at Adrian Hauser out of the bullpen and say that that is a Corey Knable or a Josh Hader type reliever. Like, no, it, that's it, probably expecting too much, right? Like, is he a reliever that can go through stretches where he's excellent? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that basically every single one of the guys that they have in the bullpen right now, outside of you know one or two guys that have kind of been shuttle guys. I mean, Jacob Barnes can go through stretches where he looks great. Taylor Williams can go through stretches where he looks great. Matt Albers goes through a couple of, you know, a couple of months to an entire year where he looks, you know, like he could be a, a high leverage, high leverage piece in the back end of a bullpen of, of a competitive bullpen. I mean, it, it's it's really trying to figure out that the difference between an above average to elite major league pitcher versus a below average to average big league pitcher is not about stuff. It's not about, it's about consistency. All of these guys can go through stretches where they look good. It's about, can you do it every single time that you go out there? There are some guys that can, and those are the guys that get paid the big bucks. And they're the guys that you rely on when you're trying to win an NL, NL central pennant. And there are guys that are good over stretches where, you know what, if you can get them and you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle, that's great. But if you're relying on those guys to be your absolute you know, the linchpins in your bullpen when you're trying to, 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 you know, win a pennant, if you're trying to win the NL central, you're, it's hard. And last year or the year, the last two years, like we've seen a lot of those variance bars kind of come together really nicely. But we talked about before this year that all of these guys are high variance guys. And sometimes it just looks brutal. Well, speaking of, of high variance, uh, Jesus Aguilar had a really good series finally this week. Um, against the Pirates. He went 6-for-10 with three home runs. He had like six RBIs or something and would have been 
had it not been for the the unpleasantness uh, with Junior Garrett giving up the three-run shot to Reynolds, he would have been the hero of the game on Sunday with his two home runs. What do you see as Aguilar going forward? Because I put out that I got to the point a few weeks ago where I was ready for them to move on from him if they needed to, to make the Keston Hira thing happen. And they decided to send Shaw down instead. And that's how they got Hira back onto the roster. And that's all fine. But are, are you at this point? Cause I know you were, you were basically saying, yeah, it, it would make sense to drop Aguilar because he uh, is a replaceable commodity that you can find first baseman out there, even though, the Brewers can still hold on to him for three more years. He is a guy that can be replaced. Where are you at with with uh, him at this point? Because Eric Thames has continued to hit. He is actually, I think, pretty clearly the fourth best hitter on this team at this point. Where does that put Jesus Aguilar for you at this moment? I think if you're going to, if they made the decision to to option Travis Shaw, uh, Jesus Aguilar is on the roster. I mean, I you had to make a decision between one of the two, and they made the decision to option Shaw. And on the mini pod a couple of weeks ago, when I had a chance to get it up, I, I said that optioning Shaw was not necessarily the risk I wanted to take. It, it would have been if I had to choose Aguilar would have been the risk I would have taken. But at this point, if you've made a decision, I don't really see the point of moving on from Aguilar. I, I also don't think a you know a good series is all of a sudden a sign that Aguilar is is back or fixed. I mean, we saw this against the Rockies as well, where he had a conversation. I don't remember who he had a conversation with. Is it Andres Galarraga, uh, Andres Galarraga, or something like that? Um, where he kind of like talked to somebody who kind of got his head right, and then he had a couple of big big days, and you know, hashtag narrative had a really great weekend, and. Then he went through an extended slump again. He started to struggle to get playing time. And hopefully, I would love it if this is the moment where he really turns it on. Because if they can get him back, uh, the team is is a much, much better team than they are without Hazers Aguilar hitting. Even if Eric Thames is... Because if, if they can platoon, this is a much, much better team with both of them hitting very well than with Jesus Aguilar struggling. I'm not trying to say that... Uh, I'm rooting against him or anything of that sort. But I do think that if Jesus Aguilar or if, if they decided that they wanted to option Travis Shaw, which is clearly what they did, then I think Jesus Aguilar absolutely has a, has a place on the team. I don't think there's any real justification for moving on from him. All right. Let's talk about guys who got hurt because there was a lot of that to talk about this weekend, especially. Um, we'll start with the headliner in this whole thing. So Christian Yelich gets held out of the game on Sunday. And the speculation I saw on Twitter was, oh, they're giving him a day off because he's going to be in the home run derby, and then he's going to be in the all-star game, and blah, they're, they're prioritizing the Brewer, or they're prioritizing the, the all-star game over winning for the Brewers, and there was angst. And then come to find out, he had actually already withdrawn from the, the home run derby, and that just hadn't been officially announced yet. And he was replaced in that by, was it Matt Chapman, I believe? And he sat out the game today because of back tightness, a recurrence of what had been happening before. And he told Adam McAlvey that, um, or I guess Craig Council told Adam McAlvey that there's like a red line with him. And when he gets close to that red line in terms of his back, the team pulls him back and they say, okay, we're going to give him a rest. So he's managing some things there. And I think that it's, it's instructive that, we don't jump to conclusions about like what the motivation for things are when we see something like Christian Yelich getting a day off today, because it turned out it was, you know, the exact opposite of that conclusion that people were drawing, that they were prioritizing the all-star game over the Brewers. When in fact it was actually, he was prioritizing the Brewers and was, was dropping out of the, the home run derby so that he could get right and be as healthy as possible. And I wouldn't expect to see him play on, on Tuesday either. I mean, I suppose it's still possible, but probably not. Any thoughts about Yelich's situation? No, I mean, if he's, if he's managing the back problem, I, I trust the team to do that. I mean, they, they are not going to mess with that. Uh, they're not going to mess with Yelich. I don't, I don't expect that to be a problem. Um, in terms of them trying to push him too hard or anything of that sort. Uh, as far as like Twitter having some angst and you know going to, to bad places um 
I, I, I for one, am shocked that Twitter thought they had, were working with perfect information and decided to have an opinion on something that they obviously didn't have full information about, nor could they have full information about. Uh, largely, that never happens, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, no, largely, largely that's a situation where um, it either allows bad stretches to, in, you know, pessimism surrounding bad stretches to then inform opinions based on things in which you, you know you have a void of information that you can fill with whatever kind of motivation you want to have if you if you're down on the team uh that that lack of information or this kind of empty void allow it it, it can be filled with whatever you want it to be filled with right because there's no way to really falsify anything and it's one of the right. str- it's it's and to be honest like outside of baseball like it's one of the strongest things that um, you know strong political candidates do again and again. It's it's they largely work with really vague, uh, vague kind of symbols, uh, statements, slogans, anything of that sort, because it allows people to then fill that void, or it allows themselves to to kind of fill that with whatever they want it to be. And it allows it to speak to, to them in a lot of different ways. And we do that a lot of the same time with baseball as well, where it's you see something happen. You don't necessarily know why, nor can you understand everything. Uh, and so it becomes this non-falsifiable thing where, you know, David Stearns makes this decision because of X, Y, and Z, when there's no possible way outside of D- David Stearns coming out and saying it. And even if David Stearns comes out and says to Tom Hodricourt what he's thinking about some sort sort of thing, you shouldn't even be trusting that 100% because he's not going to tell you everything. Like, David Stearns has no motivation to come out and tell you exactly what's going on at all times. Like, he has a motivation to come out and tell you exactly what he wants you to, to be thinking. Um and so we have to be careful with those sorts of things, like you said. But no, I'm not surprised that people, uh, you know, and, and to be fair, like it a lot of the times it's it's the loudest. The loudest people are the ones that end up uh, kind of being seen right uh, on Twitter. So it's yeah, it's important. And when Steve tells Ryan to not fight the Internet, uh, Ryan <laughs> fights the loudest people on the Internet. So. I do seem to find them. So anyway, uh, moving on to other injuries this uh, this week, it came out that Ryan Braun has been fighting a knee issue that actually dates back to last year's postseason that hadn't been really previously talked about much. And that was aggravated when he slid into the wall um, late in the week. I'm not sure exactly which game it was, but he slid into the wall and it sort of aggravated this knee issue. And so he has been relegated to just sort of pinch hitting duty and he has pinch hit through this weekend. So, but he's not playing in the field and they were just kind of babying it. And I think that this is a situation where because of their, their raft of injuries that they've had in AAA, And remember coming into the season, we thought one of the depth areas of this team was how many, major league ready-ish outfielders they had, right? Setting down a triple-A between Troy Stokes Jr. and potentially Corey Ray. And now Trent Grisham has emerged and Tyrone Taylor. And all those guys have been hurt. All those guys have been hurt. And so they hurt. just haven't had a... Let's say they've been hurt or bad. They've been hurt or bad or both yeah. in, in some cases. Yeah. So I think that, you know, in a in a perfect world... Like the Ryan Braun situation, they would have just put him on the disabled list. What with the All Star break coming up, and knowing that they could sort of use that to to hide him on the you know on the disabled list a little bit, and not have it really affect how many games he was going to get into overall total. But they just didn't have the flexibility to be able to to play around with things like that. So they they seem to have made the decision that you know. They could just use him as a pinch hitter, and this would get more time for Matt Gamble. Um, little did they know Yelich was going to need time off as well. And another thing happened. I don't know if you saw this on Saturday night in the midst of the very unfortunate Brewers drubbing uh, 12-2 to at the hands of the Pirates. There was a collision between Orlando Arcia and uh, Keston Hira, and it looked pretty bad. I, I watched the replay of it and went, oh, man, that's really not good. And Arcia was tested for a concussion and had to be carted off the field. But 
<clears throat> and then when we heard post game that Mauricio Dubon was coming up uh, to the major leagues, I think people jumped to conclusions again that you know things were really bad. Lo and behold, Orlando Garcia not only is not going on the disabled list, but he was the first pinch hitter that Craig Council used today, well, and had a fine at bat. I mean, but so to be fair, when you are testing with concussions, like just because he was like there, it's such a fluid situation. He could have been so much worse in 12 hours. He could have been so much better in 12 hours. They didn't necessarily know what was going to be happening. And so my guess is Dubon was was kind of brought up as cover. Yes. And Dubon was brought up and they actually uh, sent Birch Smith out who had just been up for a day. So great. That was a. That was a situation where they knew they could cover the game because it was their last day before the All-Star break and they had guys rested and they were going to be fine covering that and they knew that. Um, There was another intriguing thing that happened in this whole run of news. Uh, Josh Hader uh, withdrew from the All-Star game with back tightness. And... So there had been some speculation that maybe this was part of why they wanted to get him out of the game on Friday night, um, or perhaps it was just a smokescreen. He was replaced on the roster by Brandon Woodruff, who gets to go now instead. So that was nice for Woodruff, and you know, congratulations to him on his first All-Star Game appearance. But what was interesting is Josh Hader did not come into the game on Sunday, but he did warm up. He was warming when... Uh, Junior Guerra gave up the three-run shot to Reynolds to, you know, what ultimately won the Pirates the game and presumably could have maybe been brought in, Uh, though I suppose it would be fair to point out that it is possible that Hayter was just sort of out there testing to see how he felt, and that wasn't necessarily an indication that he was game-ready, just that they were trying to see if he was going to feel up to coming into the game. And I guess we we don't know that now, but... uh, Thoughts on that? Because it was a strange little sequence of events that the guy drops out of the All-Star game, but then was potentially going to pitch in the last game right before it. So, yeah, don't usually see that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, without knowing the situation, without watching the games, uh, I I can't really speak to it. Um, But I do think that the All-Star game is increasingly seen, especially by players that um, are pretty established in terms of being All-Star level that uh, rest is important. And, and there are some people that are like, you know, if jo- Josh Hader is like, yeah, I could pitch through it if I had to, but I don't have to. And he can make that call on his own, right? I mean, that you see it all the time uh, happening in all sports. And it's what, you know, how many, how many times do you, it's like actually one of the biggest complaints about like, how do you get these players to actually go to the all-star games um, in, in all sports? Because basically a lot of players are like, yeah, I, you know, I don't have to like that. That's an injury risk. It's not worth it for me um, because you know what? Josh Hader doesn't get that all-star. He, he still recognizes an all-star and it's one of those things that he just might need an opportunity to, to take a break. Also, uh, it's great for Brandon Woodruff. Like that's huge, and so having an opportunity to have somebody that who de- honestly probably deserves it um, is is a nice cons- consolation for for somebody like Hater as well. But my guess with with Yelich with Hater, I don't think it's putting the team before anything. I don't think it's kind of you know any kind of selflessness. I don't think it's any. I think it's literally just guys that are kind of dealing with fringe kind of injury issues that are like it, I I could really use four days off. And I, I could use yeah. four days off to get myself right for a second half. Um, and I think they're really thinking about themselves so they don't have to be on the, the IL for an extended period of time. And I have zero problem with that whatsoever. Because basically what then would happen if Hater tried to go out and pitch on Tuesday and ended up like causing the back injury to be worse, everybody's going to be complaining the fact that he went in the first place. Right. Yeah, it's one of those situations where if you get hurt in service of the team – well, that's one thing. If you get hurt in the All-Star game and you had some sort of pre-existing thing, they're going to be second-guessed on that. And that's, you know, there's a certain amount of fairness to that, too, I would I would say. so. I would imagine that Josh anyway, Hader, does Josh Hader get to go? I believe he's still going. Yeah, yes. so I think he gets to still take part of everything and, and still be an All-Star. He still gets to be recognized as an All-Star. I imagine he probably gets a little pay bonus for being an All-Star. Um, and then he doesn't have to, to risk an injury. And... 
you know, I would also imagine that after this kind of bad stretch that there are some brewers right now that are kind of dealing with a nagging injuries, B kind of flat performances, uh, and are, we're looking forward to this all-star break to be like, I need this chance to reset and having an opportunity to then go kind of be around the all-star game, but not actually play and really take four days off is I would say most likely as somebody who doesn't necessarily know, but looking at it as an outsider and talking to other players who are like, you know, sometimes you just need a break, um, use as an opportunity to, to take an extended time off. I mean, they're not going to get four days off again for the next two and a half months you, and longer if they end up making the postseason. like take time when you can get it. Yeah. It, especially in a game that is an everyday game like baseball, you got to kind of take those moments when you can get them. And it's, it's important to be able to do that. So going back to Yelich, it's, it's good that he made that decision to, to do that. And we'll see if he ends up playing Tuesday. I kind of doubt that he's going to given how all this has played out at this point, but we'll see. So anyway, I think it's time to move on and talk a little bit about the, the Brewers first half and just do a quick little wrap up and see where you're at with the team. And then we have some questions that we'll, we'll talk about here as we go through. So the Brewers end the first half of the season at 47 and 44 and are a half game behind the Cubs uh, for the NL central. And they're also a half game behind the Philadelphia Phillies, who uh, are the second wild card in the uh, National League right now. So they are, if the season ended today, just outside the playoffs, but they are right in the thick of both races at this point. And uh, they are currently, uh, they've scored 432 runs and have allowed 449 runs. So they've been outscored by their opponents. And you would expect that would result in a record that's actually the opposite of what they have. You would expect a 44 and 47 instead of a 47 and 44. And part of this has been the Brewers have once again been good in one-run games. They've done well in close games. So they get a nudge from that. And that seems to be something of a repeatable skill for them at this point. And it's especially, I think, has a lot to do with Josh Hader being so good at the end of games and able to kind of drag the team across uh, with close victories late, uh, you know, once or twice a week. So um, looking at all this, how big a concern is it to you that the Brewers have been outscored by their opponents at this point? Is this something that keeps you up at night, Spreen? No, the, there's not much with baseball that keeps me up at night um, other than like editing late for BP or something. Um, sometimes I have to like get, get something in late, but no, I mean, I've honestly like what the three games over 500, I either said 85 or 86 wins prior, prior to the year. This seems about right on track. Uh, they would go through some stretches in which they were really good. They would go through some stretches in which they were pretty poor and, um, yeah, it, it just is, it's a, once you kind of take the Knable injury into effect, once you have an opportunity to think about kind of who is in the who was in the starting rotation at the beginning of the year and what we thought about and and how difficult the NL Central is and how difficult the NL is overall is a really difficult task for for, uh, for the Brewers. And so, no, I also don't think short term like short term Pythagoras like means anything. So I'm not really that concerned about it. And it just takes one or two really lopsided results to really make things start to all of a sudden look really weird. And once you start getting guys like Kessin Hura up, I don't really see once you start making roster changes to, to some point, like there's really no point in looking back at run differential to, to think about how it's going to be going forward because the players are different. So there's a lot of really difficult situations when you're you're looking at runs scored and runs allowed. I do think that if there's one thing that would concern me about it, it's the fact that, um, you know, we talked about so many of the pitchers were high variance guys, and where were they going to fall? And in the past, we saw a lot of those guys fall on uh, the very positive end of their variance bars. What we've seen this year is kind of the opposite. And they really needed, they needed Chassin to, to be the guy he was last year. And they needed a couple of guys to really take a step forward. Woodruff took a step forward. 
uh, and kind of no one else has come along with him. Maybe Zach Davies has a little bit, but Zach Davies kind of is what, you know, he's mid-rotation guy. Like, he, he is what he is. He's going to get bombed sometimes. He's going to go through stretches in which he looks really, really good for five or six games in a row. And the bullpen has really struggled with injuries. And when we were talking about the bullpen as the place in which they were really fragile, and then you added injuries on top of it, it's not all that surprising that they've struggled in terms of runs allowed. So I, it, it it is what it is, right? I mean, it is kind of yeah. what we expected. Well, and I would point out too, I think that it's helpful to look at baseball prospectus as a thing. If you go to their uh, their standings page, you can look at what is called third order wins. And what third order winning percentage is, it's like Pythagoras, but on steroids sort of. It's you take the team's projected winning percentage based on their underlying statistics. So you're looking at not just how many runs they are scoring, but how many runs you would expect them to score based on their batting profile and their pitching profile and all of that. So it's a little bit of a deeper dive into what you would expect out of the team's record. And it also adjusts for the quality of opponents. And if you look at that coming into Sunday, the Brewers were a 5-10 team. They were a four, they were projected for a 45.9 wins and 44.1 losses, which is almost identical to where they really are at 47 and 43. So I think that you can make the case that their underlying numbers have been even closer to what their record actually is. So I, I really do not worry about that Pythagorean record thing. That's It is not a thing that concerns me uh, going forward. I think that the main thing is they're going to have to start playing better because they've been on an extended run here for the last month where they're just not playing very well. And it is different parts of the team kind of come unraveled. One day it's the bullpen. Then there's an extended run where the starting pitching is bad. Then the lineup goes cold for 26 innings. And you just sort of have, you've had this period where something kind of is always going wrong. And that's a baseball season. That's part of the deal with a baseball season. And as you pointed out before, we expected the the NL Central to be a bloodbath. We all talked about that in the season previews. I think it was everybody sort of coming into the season said, you know, I think most people who are who are pretty honest and, and forthright about this stuff said, yeah, the Cardinals got better. Um, the Cubs are still the Cubs. The Reds got better. The Pirates got better it's going to be hard in the NL Central to win 90 games. You're really going to have to, to do something to make that happen. And so the fact that they've sort of struggled to this point, it wouldn't have played out the way I expected. I would have expected they would have done much better in June when the schedule was softer and not as well in May when the schedule was tougher. But eh, that's it, it, that's how things go sometimes. That's just baseball. It, it, it confounds expectations and it's not... What is you know, the old joke? You can't predict ball. So um, I really think looking at on balance, it's been ugly that they've gotten to this point. And because we've seen the bad run of it most recently, that's what sticks in our mind. But I think that this is sort of a first half that shouldn't shock anybody. Like the, that their record is what it is. It, it just sort of, it makes a lot of sense. And if they are going to get through this this NL Central uh, juggernaut and uh, the NL in general, they are going to have to play better. But there are some things to to look at. And actually, that was going to be my next question for you. What were you happiest about in the first half? Just to, to pick out some positive things. What are some things that you liked about the first half from this team? Uh, well, first and foremost, Brandon Woodruff being the guy that we need that we kind of said he needed to be for this team to be successful. He, we were saying that he kind of had the best opportunity to be a lock in the bullpen in terms of, or in, in the starting rotation in terms of the young pitchers that is proven to be, that is proven to be true. It's proven to be true kind of plus some he's been, he's been excellent. So I think that that's been huge positive, obviously Yelich proving that he's kind of a perennial MVP guy rather than just being a dude who went through a power binge in the second half last year. Um, and obviously it's part of the, part of that is, is a dude who is a really, really good hitter and the juiced ball allowing him to basically power up at all times. Um, it's been, it's been a huge, huge win for, for the team. Um, and 
I don't know. I mean, Ben Gamel, uh, yes, Monty Grandal also, you know, I think he's he's gone right. He's been a big addition, but I think Ben Gamel being a really good fourth outfielder has been a, a good safety blanket for the team uh, over the course of a lot of a lot of times. And I will also say uh, Orlando Arcee, I think, has taken a step forward in a few different ways that we didn't expect. Um, or at least we were suggesting like he needed to, to become a better hitter to be palatable. And he has been. And so there, there are some, you know, really nice, uh, kind of little steps forward. I, I think the only like really huge step forward has come from Brandon Woodruff. Um, so I think that he's probably the, the best story of the first half. How about you? What do you think? Yeah. I think I was I was going to go and highlight Brandon Woodruff as well. I think that it's hard not to talk about Christian Yelich as well because he's been good. And we should also give a shout to Josh Hader, who's had another really good season so far to this point. Um, you know, it, I was surprised the other day. I looked and saw his ERA is back down to almost two at this point after having, you know, been up in the threes for a little while there. So he had some moments where, you know, he gives up some home runs, but he's – also been good. So when your best hitter and your best pitcher, and I'd say, you know, Josh Hader is that are good. That's a positive. Um, I think I would point to Zach Davies reestablishing himself as a really important thing because after last year, not being healthy, I was going to say, just, and just the fact that he's been able to take the ball so much yeah. and be as effective as he has been. And granted he's had rough patches too, but you look at his overall, I mean, the three Oh seven ERA, that's fantastic for him. So that's, and, and I also think it's unreasonable to suggest that somebody shouldn't have rough patches, right? Oh yeah. Especially a guy like that, where it's all so dependent on having that pinpoint command and location and that there are going to be times when guys just kind of figure you out and you have to maybe make some adjustments and you figure out your next move uh, in the, the cat and mouse game. That is the pitcher hitter matchup. Uh, I think it's also worth, you know, the shout. Both Grandal and Moustakis have been critical to this team's success. I can't even imagine where the team would be without them. Oh, man. Um, Moustakis actually should have been one of the huge things that I mentioned about what went right. He's been massive. He's been he's been so much better than I think anybody expected him to be. He's been an absolute like if he weren't producing in the middle of this in the middle of this lineup this lineup would be brutal with the fact that Aguilar and and Shaw struggled so much right yeah and Eric Thames has been very valuable as well yeah he's been his, solid his reestablishment i mean i think people miss he's got a 127 ops plus you know 127 it's that's uh which is solid for the a first same baseman. as Yasmani Grandal and yeah. just a a tick better than uh Mustakis. Yeah, I mean for, so, for for a first baseman that's, you know, that's solid. That that's probably about average. Um and I think the big well, thing better than average for even a, at first base. I I I'd be really I'd be surprised if it's it's all that much better, but you're probably right. Um and the biggest thing for him is he's been able to stay healthy over the course of kind of an extended stretch. Has been big. And I think another thing I would point to as being important Freddie Peralta and Adrian Hauser have been, they have shown uh, growth throughout the season. I think that we've seen Freddie Peralta's command has gotten a lot better and he is in the zone a lot more than he was. And I think we're, I would pick him to have a, a pretty big second half. In fairness and in due deference to uh, equal time here, what were the things you were most frustrated with and disappointed about in the first half, JP? For me, it was Shasin needed to be a workhorse uh, for the for this for this rotation. Um, we had so many young arms coming in in the rotation that were high variance guys, and, and Shasin needed to be a stabilizing force. In some ways, maybe you could say Davies has taken a step forward to be that stabilizing force, but Shasin needs to be able to be that in the second half. And it's been it's been disappointing. It, obviously, I don't think he's suddenly terrible, um, but he he's a guy who needs to be able to to take a step forward in the second half for the team to be good. Um, and to, I just don't think there's any way to get around it to say that Aguilar and Shaw being so bad, um, it, it it hurt the team a lot. 
and they needed to be better and 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 there was no real sense i think you you could look at statistics until your eyes bleed and there was no reason to think that they were going to be this bad and and part of that is part of that is just kind of a random confluence i think some of it's probably confidence related some of it's probably just i don't know baseball but some of it is also you know, these unexpected things happen from year to year. You also have unexpected things where guys all of a sudden become really good for no seeming reason. Um, and so you got to kind of recognize that every single time that we celebrate guys who broke out and became really huge cogs in the, in the team, that sometimes it goes the opposite way for no real reason. And, but I think if you, you look at what the Brewers biggest headaches have been for a long period of time in this first half. It's the fact that that Sean Aguilar were supposed to be guys in the center of the road in the center of the lineup that were just going to be mainstays guys that were maybe, you know, all-star candidate guys, guys that were, you know, people were like, do you extend them? Like, sh- should you be kind of moving them for long-term uh, extensions? Or are these guys going to be, you know, you're, I think I even took Aguilar to be the the most home runs because I wanted to take an outlandish guy. I I wanted to you know make up some space in, in terms of uh, being able to beat people and and that obviously went poorly. But I, I think w- I had Shaw, so well, I'm right there with you. Then then we both look fantastic, and but yeah, I think the those two. It's just been it's been hard to stomach at times, and and I think a lot of it is we look. A lot of people just try to f- figure out why, right? And and it's caused a lot of people to say, like, maybe Stern should have done this or should have done that. But sometimes things happen that you don't expect. Like, if you would have said that Shaw was so bad, I didn't even know Shaw had, I didn't even know Shaw had an option remaining. Like, that was not even something in my mind that I would have considered that Shaw would have played so bad that he was going to need to be optioned to AAA. Yeah, it completely is out of left field. So... My picks there would have been Aguilar and, and Shaw as well. And I don't think we gave a shout, but Corbin Burns has been very disappointing this year. And it's been maddening because you can see glimpses of it. You could see moments of it working. Um, going right down to his first start of the year, which was, what was that, like nine strikeouts to like start the game? And then he starts getting bombed for like three home runs right after that and has to be yanked having given up four or five runs. That's kind of a summation of Corbin Burns. He will show these flashes of brilliance, and you go, how is this guy not an absolute stud for them? And then he'll just get creamed. And I I think that you do stick with him. You have to keep riding him out there and going, we're going to get this figured out because there's so much raw material there to work with. But, yeah, I, I definitely didn't see this coming. I figured him and... Uh, and Woodruff would be, you know, sort of guys breaking out together at this point. And it's been anything but that for Corbin Burns. So yeah, maybe some of that's unfair expectation on my part, but I don't think I was alone. I know Keith Law picked him as one of his, you know, seven or eight breakout players for the year. So, oh, and man. he gave a shout to Brandon Woodruff in that same Right up. So I, as I got, well. I got, I got two really quick things. Um, number one, I will say what went wrong. Keston Hero should have been up earlier. I, I stand by that pretty firmly. Um, that that he should have been up earlier, and I think that it was a mistake in terms of trying to delay the decision as long as they made. Uh, to kind of tr- get around it. I think if you're looking at a team that needed to have impact, if they were struggling to be able to prevent runs, they needed to score more runs, and I think it was pretty clear that Keston Hero could have helped that. Um, the other thing is Corbin Burns going to be your Manny power. God, I hope not. But in terms I mean, of like you're you saw him like do really well for like a few like you're oh you can't give up on it man I saw it I'm, I'm not saying obviously I'm not saying that you should give up on Corbin Burns I'm just is he going to be I mean, is he going to be like is he well no actually no Manny Parr is not the right is he going to be your your Jacob Barnes your Jacob Barnes where you're like I saw Jacob Barnes be really good for two weeks in a row once. And like so now I think he can be like closer level. I I still hope that Jacob Barnes is gonna be good at this God, point. Yes. So I knew I was gonna get that in there. <laughs> so good. I mean hopefully uh Burns and Barnes are both really great and it's the Burns of Barnes show. So like in two years when those guys are dominating for them, uh, Jacob Barnes is the closer, Corbin Burns is their ace, you know, then we can look back on this and laugh. 
Um, so a couple questions here that I want to get to, and then we we're going to wrap this up. Um, what concerns you more at this point, the starting pitching uncertainty, uh, after Woodruff and Davies and, or the offense, which, you know, Yelich, uh, Moustakis, Grendel, and he, they didn't include Thames. They should have the, it, the drop-off happens after Thames in that discussion. But, um, that was a question from Adam post from a few weeks ago. I, well, I'm sorry. No, that was a uh, PG Wessels. Yeah. From the, yeah. This comes from PJ. Um, huge shout out from PJ, by the way, I think is the only person that's given us a voice message via anchor thus far. So you can always do that. And so huge shout out to PJ. Um, I, yeah, I'm not all that concerned about the offense. I'd be much more concerned about the starting rotation. I'd actually, I'm actually far more concerned about the bullpen than anything. I think for the, for the, the trade deadline, they need to be looking at the bullpen. Could you see them adding multiple impact relievers? No. I don't think they can afford just it. Just because they don't have the trade chips that they're going to want to deal to do I that? Don't, I don't think they can afford it, nor do I think that there are going to be a whole lot of impact relievers out on the trade market. Like, if you <laughs> look, I can't, I just, I don't, like, if Will Smith is going to be your best reliever out there. Eh, I think Kirby Yates might end up on the market. I mean, maybe if you want to pay an arm and leg for it. And that's a short, that's a short, that's a really short, uh, string of success that you're going to be paying an arm and a leg for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the answer to this is it's the starting pitching uncertainty that has me most concerned. I think they'll get the bullpen sorted out. I think it's the area where you can make the most changes with the least grief. And so I know they're going to bring in multiple relievers, whether or not they will be high impact. That is a valid question, but I know they're going to bring in guys. Yeah, but the question just because, is just, just because you bring you know, in more, how good they're going to be. Just because you bring in more guys doesn't mean it's solved. No, but I think that they also have some internal options to help continue to improve that. So yeah. I think I think we're going to see you know potentially guys like Adrian Hauser and Freddie Peralta be impact relievers down the in the second half. So we will see how that all shakes out. Um, on the flip side to this question, this is something that I've been discussing with a friend uh, off and on, and he actually made some very awful points about this this afternoon when we were discussing it. Um, as Grandal and Moose are having great years and are not signed past the season, do you see a scenario where the Brewers could become sellers prior to the deadline and take full advantage of their return? That's, that's a question from Frank Newens, correct? Uh, yes, sorry, yeah, that yeah. is from Frank Newens. Yeah, so... Um coming from frank uh, no i mean i could see them potentially trading uh somebody at the big league level to get somebody else to come in at the big league level i i could see something like that happening but no i don't see them becoming sellers i i don't they would have to go on a monumental slide to start the to start the all-star second half i i just yeah i mean i was trying to imagine what that would even look like what would they they would have to be five plus games out in the division and five plus games out in the no they the wild to, card they'd have to be way more to be to be sellers and not just somebody who trades one person they would have to be they would have to like be they would have to go like two two and fourteen they'd have to just absolutely tank so it would take a catastrophic collapse I think we're basically on the same page there it would have to be a monumental fall for them to even consider it. Because I mean, and so I just don't see it happen. I mean, who are who are you gonna sell? Well, like you said, you you have these guys who are, and this is something that gets talked about on Twitter a lot. JP, I don't you've care. been you've I, been lucky missing look, that because this has been a the, a consistent point of discussion where people say they should be sellers, they should get rid of these guys and, and play for next year. The more and more, the more and more you tell me that these things are talked about on Twitter, like the more I think about just like not having an account anymore. <laughs> like, I mean, sure. Like, maybe, yeah. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna trade somebody like Yasmani Grandal. Sure. Let's say you do that. When's the last time you've seen an actual impact guy be traded for somebody that's a two and a half month rental? I mean, yeah. I just, I mean, th- nobody would even pay for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that Grandal could bring you something. He could bring Grandal's you, the he guy could bring you that something. could bring you. He could maybe bring you. He could maybe bring you one piece. Are you gonna t- throw your? You're gonna throw the towel in on the second half because you want to go get one guy that could be, you know, a top ten prospect in your organization. No. Oh, absolutely not. Unless 
it just unless the the situation changed dramatically from where it is today, you don't even consider it. Because, it would have to be a disaster scenario. Because and they, even then, I think they would have a hard time pulling the plug by July thirty first when the trade deadline is this year. So yeah, I don't see it. Um, moving on, we had a Patreon question from Adam Post, and we didn't discuss this earlier, so we should mention this. How surprised are we that Hernan Perez cleared waivers? Are players like him now more common than we realize and therefore less valuable? I don't know if you caught that, but Hernan Perez did clear waivers and was assigned to uh, AAA San Antonio. Yeah. So he's still in the organization. So we've probably not seen the last of Hernan Perez yet. That that doesn't surprise me a bit uh, for two reasons. Number one, Hernan Perez has, hasn't been very good and hasn't been very good for a while. Um, I think Hernan Perez hold special value for the Brewers number one in terms of his clubhouse personality how much everybody likes him um and the fact that kind of what everybody's been doing and how they've been talking about him since he got like in terms of the team themselves and, and how everybody kind of connected to the organization talks about it in Perez it's pretty clear that he means something pretty special to the team and a lot of the players in the team and so I think he means a lot more to the Brewers than a lot of places but no, I don't think that that Aaron Perez is is a guy that is going to be like who's going to claim him. What what do you if you're a competitive team, you're not taking him because he's not going to really do anything for you. If he's on your organ, if he's in the organization already, he can play a lot of positions. Um, but I'm not sure he plays any of them particularly well at this point. And so Aaron Perez is a guy that the team feels very comfortable with, can play a lot of positions for them, is a great clubhouse guy, and can provide some power from the right-hand side. But in general, it's just his flexibility and and his kind of his intangible uh, his intangible qualities. And no, I, I don't necessarily expect any other organization to really understand what he can bring to a clubhouse. Yeah, I think I was a little bit surprised that he accepted the assignment. Well, I was I think he, going I, back and forth with Steve a little bit on this um, in direct messages when it happened because I was like, well, no, he can even if he clears waivers to go to Na- or to go I want to say Nashville to go to San Antonio, he would have to accept that assignment because he would be eligible to become a free agent, and he chose not to. He chose to stay with the Brewers at that point, and I, I think that from his perspective that makes sense because. They know what they have in him, and I think he recognizes the connection there. Well, he knows he'll um, be back. He 100% knows he's going to be back in the big leagues. And so he knows that that's probably his best shot, yeah. whereas if he goes to some other organization, who knows how he fits into their scheme. And uh, He knows and, with Milwaukee they want him around if they can at all justify it. And most, and most likely, if he goes anywhere else, it's going to be a bad team. Yes. Right. Or it's a bad situation fit wise where he's on a good team that has little use for him. So, all right. Well, I think that is going to do it for this week. Um, you can join our Patreon by visiting um, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Patrons at the M&B and Ball and Glove levels receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which I believe we're going to have a chance to record this week, right, JP? 100%. We're going to be able to do it. We're going to hope that your voice is 100% better. You're going to be going to be absolutely great drinking some good lemon, uh, honey lemon tea. Going to be really great yeah. doing some vocal exercises beforehand. You've been a trooper to get through this one. But, yeah, we'll we'll make sure that uh, you're good and ready for the, the Minor League Extra podcast this week. And uh, hopefully I won't be running the whole thing off of a hotspot on my phone like I am right now is that what's going on okay uh, yeah, I, did, yeah um, I literally just got my keys to the new place at like an hour before we started this and so yeah i i haven't even had a chance to get the internet started i'm running this off a hot spot upstairs kind of on the floor and now like i don't even have any lights up here so ryan can't even see me anymore because now i'm in the dark. yeah it's I, I was gonna ask you about that as we've been going it's been getting darker and darker even though i can still see that uh out the skylight so i could still see the the sky there but you have been moving into a shadow and now i'm just seeing like these faint glimpses of your face man now you know how it's like to be a hitter in the in an afternoon game in miller park shadows are brutal absolutely can't handle the shot but yeah we'll get we'll definitely be doing the minor league extra podcast and we got so much more to talk about because we've got what 
three rookie league teams. We got the DSL starting. We got the J2 deadline that just went through. We're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff. It's going to be great. And Corey Ray might get a mention because he's back playing. And I know how much you want to talk about Corey Ray. It'll be good. Yeah, we have not been doing our due diligence with getting Corey Ray into the minor league pod. So we will definitely do that this month. Um, You can also submit questions to Milwaukee's tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page uh, for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. Thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's tailgate.